This is a Rooster Teeth production. What are sky burials, and why is this ancient burial right in decline? Find out on 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the fourth season of the podcast where we investigate topics and history of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. I'm Jessica Vasami, and I can't believe we're in the fourth season. (laughs) I can't believe we are in the fourth season either, and it feels good to be back. It does feel good to be back. I'm excited. And creepy. Yeah, always, always creepy. Always. (laughs) Always creepy. Yeah, but it feels like it's been a while, even though it really has not been that long for us to be recording this. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's the new year. So we kind of got over Christmas, mm-hmm. which is a distinctly not morbid <laughs> season, though. I'm sure if we wanted to well, do an episode where we're like, here's yep. the morbid side of Christmas, we can figure it out. Yes. A hundred percent. I was like, there's definitely, yeah. I feel like there's a morbid side to most things. I don't know. Valentine's Day. Oh, for sure. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh, man. Dying alone. I mean, there's the whole morbid, usually, hey, don't quote me. This is just something that I've heard. But, you know, after the holidays, I think like January is a is the time where there's a, the highest recorded suicide. Yeah. Rate, you, you know, I will <laughs> quote you because um, okay. statistically the most depressing day of the year is in January. It's January mm-hmm. 17th or something like that, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. Uh, it is the you know distance between holidays. It's just com- coming off of Christmas and mm-hmm. the holiday season and everything. Everyone's kind of down. No one has money. Yeah. So it's yeah, you're right. And and also, I mean, like for those people that don't have anywhere to go during the holidays and it, it's just like another just smack in the face once it's all over. I, ugh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Ah, that sucks. Way to bring it down, Jess. Sorry. Yeah. See, there's a morbid <laughs> side to everything. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I feel like we we should make like a very bright and sunny, you know, children's show intro. But it's, you know, there's a morbid side to everything <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, kids. Um, Not I targeted guess. at kids, though. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, but. Kind of, in a way, we're about to talk about something that is a little bit, you know, filled with childlike wonder. Mm-hmm. Hi ho, hi ho, off to work we go. If these lyrics sound familiar, it's because they are from the iconic animated film Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. It's also what Jess and I sing as we are on our way to record this podcast. <laughs> I was going to say that was some great singing, Elise. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Hi ho, hi ho, off well, to work. You have we the go. voice. You're the voice. Oh man, sometimes it's it's when I'm put on the spot. All of a sudden, I just can't sing anymore. So it's funny how that works. But yeah, Snow White premiered. I can't believe, but in 1937, was produced mm-hmm. by you know Walt Disney Productions and establishing a lot of big firsts in the world of animation. Mm-hmm. Like the distinction of being the first feature length animated film. Snow White single-handedly ushered in the golden age of Disney animation. Yeah, we've we've all seen the movie, read the fairy tale, or at least have some sort of concept of the story. Basically, if you don't, there's a wicked queen who's jealous of her stepdaughter, Snow White. So the queen puts a hit out on Snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got her mirror in toes, uh, who is, you know, aiding and abetting. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately for the queen, the assassination attempt fails. So Snow has to move in with some witness protection dwarves. 
Yes, and in a relentless pursuit, the queen tracks Snow down to take matters in her own hands, disguising herself as an ugly old woman. Which it wasn't too hard. Boom. <laughs> gotcha, queen. <laughs> uh, the queen then tricks Snow into eating a poisoned apple, which causes the princess to trip hard on some off-brand Z-Quill. The only way Snow White can be revived is from true love's first kiss given by some rando she met in the forest. A tale as old as time, Elise. <laughs> so romantic. <laughs> Definitely what we should be teaching. Uh, but don't worry, because that evil queen, she gets hers. The dwarves and forest animals track her down, corner her ass on a cliff, and then lightning strikes, causing the queen to fall and get crushed to death by a boulder. Clearly, a lot of older Disney classics and the fairy tales they were, you know, adapted from Snow White has some very dark themes and scenarios. Yeah, there's one particular moment that pays off at the end here during the queen's death scene, because you see throughout the film, they keep cutting to a pair of vultures that are observing the queen and they are real sinister looking. Yeah. And it's in this moment that the queen falls to her death when we finally see the vultures come into action, swooping down to the queen's body to devour her corpse bit by bit. I bet that meat was real dry, Jess. Uh, probably didn't taste very good at all. <laughs> Flavorless. Not like the Texas barbecue you're used to. I am not the biggest fan of barbecue. Really? And you're Texas born and raised, right? No, no, no. I was born in New York. In New York. Yes. What am I saying? I, I know. I know. I know every piece of your backstory. I was like, you're probably going to be a bridesmaid in my wedding. You know I know. I am, I, born? <laughs> I am a Jessica Vasami historian. And what am I doing here? Gosh, I am so embarrassed. Let's let's keep going because I'm you're, you're really only historian for those. Like you said, those weird two years of my life in high school. <laughs> that's where you know, that's where you're a historian in this audience. Yeah. They're like, yeah, we could write a dissertation <laughs> on what she was seeing in the dark. Oh God, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this trope that Snow White so pl or plays into so well, this trope of vultures or buzzards consuming people, dead animals. It's something that we see in cinema and storytelling all the time, like old Bugs Bunny cartoons and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, and it's not hard to imagine the visual cliche of vultures circling above a rotting carcass on a hazy desert road waiting for the perfect time to consume their dinner. Mm -hmm. It's the circle of life, it really as Elton is. John taught us. It's perfectly natural <laughs> for animals to die and then be preyed upon by birds and other wildlife. But in this episode, we're discussing the circumstances around carrion consumption as part of a man-made ritual, wherein a body is intentionally placed in a strategic way for decomposition and consumption. Yes, we are finally at the topic of this episode. I'm sure all of you were like, what are they talking about Snow White for so long? Mm -hmm. But <laughs> yes, but this practice is a post-mortem ritual known as a sky burial. And so today we are talking about what exactly a sky burial is, how it's practiced, who practices it, the origins, and the questions and considerations. We're also going to explore why the practice is actually in decline as well. And no, for everyone wondering... A sky burial is not shooting a casket out of a cannon into <laughs> outer space. So you can all just stop thinking that. Okay. I'm not sure anybody was thinking that, but that's some actually people, Yeah. That's actually a very clever. That. Okay. I, I want to give our audience the benefit of the doubt that this is a bright, smart audience. Okay. <laughs> but honestly, that would be really cool. And that's how I want to go. I right? Yeah. 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 I know we've talked about natural burials and all that, but I've changed my mind. Okay. She changed her mind. 
And Actually, uh, the more we do research on all these different topics, I feel like my mind's going to change like another 30 times. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get to some dark places. Mm-hmm. In its most basic description, a sky burial is a practice in which the body of a deceased person is prepared, placed, and left exposed in such a way, usually in a place of higher elevation, so that vultures and other scavenging birds, as well as the elements, might consume it. So like, and if you just think about it in its most crude way, it's like taking a body and putting it on top of a mountaintop so birds can peck at and eat it. Hmm. Yeah. You know, you've seen those vultures on the side of the road. Yeah. But that's, I'm, I was being very reductive in what I just totally. said now for the most basic description. Totally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's mostly commonly practiced by Tibetan Buddhists who refer to it as jator, which means giving of alms to the birds. It's also practiced within the Zoroastrian religion, mainly in regions of Iran and India. Jator derives from how both religions view the afterlife and the body significance or lack thereof after death. Yeah, because to Tibetan Buddhists, after the spirit has moved on in preparation for rebirth, which we talk about a lot in our reincarnation episode. Mm-hmm. So go listen to that for, for more on how Buddhists view the circle of life and thereafter. This means that the remaining corpse to Buddhists is nothing more than an empty shell or a discarded vessel. There's nothing really left to it. The spirit's gone. Yeah, Yeah. right. That the spirit has left in pursuit of higher enlightenment. Yeah. And Buddhism places strong emphasis on the interconnectedness of the environment and the natural world, which means that now, since the body is no longer a conduit for a spirit, it can actually reintegrate with nature. Yeah. In the Zoroastrian faith, burying a body is even seen as polluting the earth. So the traditional Western burial where we, you know, bury somebody in a casket in the ground, woof, this would be seen as very counter to this philosophy. That's so weird. That belief is so interesting because I wouldn't have thought of it like that because, yeah, you're putting like a casket into the ground and it's like it does kind of feel like in a way polluting. I know that some people don't think that and that we're we're paying our respects, yeah. but that's such an interesting way to look at it. Hmm. Yeah. And or especially like we get make really elaborate memorials and stuff like that. And yeah. it's like, well, no, we're just creating more stuff. We were. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But in the Tibetan act of Jator, the body in death serves a purpose, a last gift to the universe as it passes on its nourishment and energy to wildlife, specifically the wild griffin vultures. Aha, you see, vultures are considered sacred and holy in Tibetan culture, as well as within other cultures that practice sky burials. And they're really far from the caricaturish image that we gave earlier of like vultures cartoons with like big beaks and dopey mm-hmm. eyes circling for roadkill, like throw us down there. <laughs> you know, that's what I kind of always think about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The Tibetans actually call them dakinis. Dakinis, yes, which roughly translates to sky dancers or angels. It's believed that these vultures take the soul of the recently devoured deceased to the heavens to await reincarnation. Sounds kind of nice. It really does. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's actually really a beautiful way of thinking about the afterlife and nature and and, and creatures. Um, And there are various types of vultures, like the lammergeier, that subsist almost exclusively on bone and marrow. Uh, so mm-hmm. sky burials are a pretty appetizing buffet for them. The lammergeier are pretty scary. Google them. They can swallow big bones whole, even like the size of a full femur. They can just gulp down 
Yeah, Lammergeiers are intense and can have up to a nine-foot wingspan and live in the desolate mountain ranges where very few tend to tread. So when a body is left, these birds are getting like a free five-course meal, basically. Mm -hmm. Yum, yum. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and like kind of like I was just saying, the sky burial, it bonds the corporeal world to the heavens and it cements this spiritual relationship between these birds that are perceived as holy and people and their spirits as they're passing on. And while Jator is first and foremost motivated by the spiritual belief, we have to still think about the geographical and anthropological motivations that may have contributed to why this practice happens too, right? Mm -hmm. Because the spiritual stuff, sometimes it is life that just forces Mm -hmm. um, belief. Yeah. Because Tibet has this topography and climate and resource availability that may have contributed to why people have uh, developed these practices. Like I think about like, you know, obviously the the most basic <laughs> perception is like you bury someone at sea when you're on a ship because mm-hmm. you're on a ship and you have nothing to do but bury them at sea. Yeah. Yeah. No, right. Right. Yeah. These are and, and these are the areas of Tibet where the ground is very rocky and frozen solid, which makes it difficult to do in ground burial rituals. Cremation is also difficult because, you know, when fuel and wood are scarce as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But doing a sky burial, that's not resource intensive. No. Right. Um, You just dispose of a body in a way that eliminates any residual carry on. So like, you know, you waste um, decay decomposition from a body that could get into the water supply. You're eliminating that too. Yes, exactly. The birds are taken off with it. Absolutely. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's probably time we get into like the nitty gritty of how one is actually performed. Um, and the short explanation is that there are basically two ways to approach the ritual. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about those two ways right after a word from our sponsors. We're going to take a minute to turn the lights down low and talk about Diet Smoke. Yes, the federally legal premium THC product, the ones delivered discreetly right to your door. Diet Smoke has so much variety. There's a product for everybody. Whether you're looking for a mellow high at the end of the day to take the edge off or, you know, something a little bit stronger for a day's adventure, they have got you covered. But what's most important is that Diet Smoke is great for all levels of THC consumers. You know, whether you want to go to the library and just get a little high and read a book, or if you want to melt and to your couch either way. (laughs) And US Weekly named Diet Smoke's Delta 8 gummies best for beginners, which I can attest to. I am a beginner with gummies. I've been taking some Diet Smoke ever since we started doing ad reads for them earlier last year. And uh, I felt very safe and comfortable with them. I continue to take them. I love them. But they guarantee their quality through available lab tests and consistently release new flavors to keep their experience fresh. So for 30 morbid minutes, listeners, go to dietsmoke.com to shop now and use code 30MM. That's 30MM for 20% off your first order. Must be 21 to purchase. It's a new year, which is so exciting because with a new year, it means potential. You have no idea what is in store for you. New adventures, new experiences from travel to maybe a new job or picking up a new skill. And there is no better way to prepare yourself for 2023 than by learning a new language with Babbel. Babbel is the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions 
And that's thanks to Babbel's addictively fun and easy bite-sized language lessons. So you can feel confident no matter where the new year takes you. I've done some of the French lessons with Babbel because, you know, growing up in Canada, we learn French, but if you don't use it, you lose it. And so that's something that's important to me, retaining that because I would love to travel back to Europe someday and French is so handy in that kind of travel. And it's also just like a cool thing that you can use a skill, a, f- a feature of you, right? To know a language and have that sort of special thing that you are talented at. With Babbel, you only need 10 minutes to complete a lesson so you can start having real life conversations in a new language in as little as three weeks. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 150 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. And with Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages. Plus, their speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. There are so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories. They even have live classes, which is really cool. It also comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. So start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. And right now you can get up to 50% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash 30mm. That's babbel.com slash 30mm for up to 50% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. And we are back. So yeah, we're talking about the two ways that the ritual of sky burial is performed. One is a little bit more intensive. The bare bones, pun intended, way of doing a sky burial. You like that, Jess? I do. (laughs) Yes, you know I do. (laughs) Is to take a body to the highest elevation possible and you just leave it exposed to the prey and the elements. And you'll see this happen in small remote places or nomadic groups that, you know, really can't do all the pomp and ceremony. They'll just handle a death this way. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the more involved practice, which, you know, among other things, involves physically breaking the body down into a more accessible pieces. Yeah. A bone yeah. crusher, which usually should be a monster truck name. <laughs> but in this yes, case. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But before the ceremony comes the observation of the dead. So for 24 hours, the corpse is kept in this seated position and uh, monks and family recite prayers around them. And two days pass and the body is blessed, cleaned, and shrouded. And then the family once again comes to pay respects. Um, they might keep children or pregnant women away because there is potential for infectious disease to spread because this is a corpse that's not, you know, treated or embalmed or anything like that. So might be carrying something. Now, to actually carry the body to the mountain, the spine is usually broken. Yeah, it's, and this is the first of the body breaks. Yes, this way it can be folded and packed and carried on somebody's back. I know that sounds ugh, but. Well, I'm sorry it does, Jess, because you're going to be doing it with me. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. First episode of the season. We're back. And it's going to be like, (laughs) my spine's going to be broken and I'm going to be folded, but it's going to be the kind of thing where my my head's like nestled on your shoulder as you're carrying me. Jesus. It'll be cute. Yeah, it'll be so cute. Maybe uh, I'll play with your body because it is it'll be so gumby that I'll pretend gumby. like you're just like a <laughs> <laughs> that 
you know, like when you play with like toys and stuff, you can just uh-huh. like put them like they do cartwheels and flips and you move their body. That's what I'm just going to play with you like you're a little toy, like a little Gumby toy. That's disrespectful, Jess. Is it though? <laughs> <laughs> really? With you? <laughs> oh, man. Well, back to the Jator, though, which is very serious. It happens at higher altitudes and it's a hike to get to the Dutro, aka the site of the sky burial. And the monks overseeing the interment and family members typically accompany this journey. One of the holy members presiding over the burial rite is known as Rogapa. The Rogapa works directly with the corpse to prepare it. And using a special axe or knife, the Rogapa cuts the hair, then essentially dismembers the body limb by limb and removes the meat from the bones to kind of like make it easier for the vultures to get at. Then they uh, typically light incense, which attracts the vultures didn't know that, who come and start to consume. In this particular setting, the rogyapa will also break the bones down with a hammer so that it's easier for the birds to eat. In Zoroastrian religions, the corpse is brought to dakmas, otherwise known as towers of silence, raised structures that kind of resemble a well, and the body is placed over the well, and the bones, once deflushed by the vultures, start to just fall into it, and that becomes the kind of final resting spot. There's a dogma in Uzbekistan on the banks of the Amu Darya River that is regarded as the first one ever constructed, estimated to have been built between 1st century BCE and 1st century CE. Gosh, it's so long ago. Mm-hmm. During the 20th century, increased urbanization of more remote areas caused the practice of Jator to fall under scrutiny. And actually in the 1960s, it was just flat out banned in some parts of Tibet. And that kind of became due to a f- this fever of health concerns that arose, um, mm-hmm. much like, you know, we talked about earlier of kind of like, oh, it's, you know, might pollute something or you're leaving bodies exposed. Yeah. And since it's been unbanned, there's been fewer practicing sites. The same thing is happening in Mumbai for different reasons. The vulture population in India has suffered a decline, which means that there are not enough vultures to prey on the corpses, which can cause issues. Uh-huh. And the whole trajectory of this is so fascinating to me. Um, The vulture population that visited the Tower of Silence in Mumbai started to disappear in the 1990s. And at first it seemed like it was convenient to just chalk this up to like urbanization, changing practices and values or overhunting of vultures. But there's a much more unusual and unsettling explanation in play here. Very unsettling. In 1973, Sibagaiji introduced a new anti-inflammatory drug to the market. And it seemed pretty harmless in terms of... uh, how pharmaceutical companies make drugs. It was called diclofenac. Yeah, basically intended to be less toxic alternative to aspirin, used primarily to treat arthritis in people. Mm-hmm. But it turns out this drug was actually very lethal to vultures specifically. <laughs> specifically <laughs> yeah, to vultures. Yeah, just vultures. <laughs> so when South Asian veterinarians started to use it to treat like sick water buffalo and cattle in the 1990s, This created a big problem since vultures love to eat dead buffalo and cattle, and it didn't take a very large dose of diclofenac to kill a bird. And that's exactly what started happening on a mass, undetected scale. Vultures don't breed particularly fast. They mature at five years of age and lay about one egg a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they're not like reproducing a Mm -mm. ton all the time like Mm -hmm. rabbits. Um, In the 1980s, India was home to an estimated 40 million vultures. But by the 90s, that number dropped by an estimated 97%, which is a huge decline. 
No, yeah, huge. And this had massive ramifications for Parsi, Zoroastrian sky burial sites like the Tower of Silence in Mumbai. Less vultures feasting means bodies take longer and longer to decompose. And the Parsi leaders in Mumbai, they knew something had to be done here because corpses were just piling up. Um, And the really interesting thing that they did was they kind of, even though this is a very ancient burial ritual, they turned to like more modern solutions. So the village council got together and said, let's get some solar panels and we'll put those, we'll direct those solar panels at high heat at the bodies and it will help speed up the decomposition time. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating. It really is. It's fascinating how you're like, you're like, well, we're going to hold on to this really, really ancient ritual. But we're going to use modern technology to do it. It's exactly. fascinating. No, it is. It is. But there are a number of vulture breeding and um, conservation centers in India. They started to form around the late 90s. And in 2021, the first captive bred white rump vultures were released out into the wild. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, got, they got to hang out with other vultures. And then uh-huh. I guess like the wild vultures have to show them the way. You know, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another reason that sky burials in Mumbai are in decline has to do with the shrinking Parsi population, which is happening at an alarming rate. Yep. It's slashed by half since the 1940s, and that brings the population to around 50,000 people. Um, and birth rates aren't rising. They're not helping to rebuild the population when only about 100 to 200 happen in a calendar year. There's a bunch of reasons contributing to the population decline, too many to thoroughly discuss on this episode, but some include um, Parsis marrying outside their community and religion, not marrying, divorcing, couples not having big families, and late marriages. Mm -hmm. Now, there's probably a question that's been on your mind. I know it's been on mine this entire episode, Mm -hmm. especially those of you in the large swath of our audience who live in the United States of America. And that question might be, is it possible to perform or have a sky burial where I live? Mm-hmm. Good question. Probably not, no. At least not legally, especially. Ah, dang it. <laughs> yeah. Jess, we're going to have to move. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, not legally, especially in the U.S., probably the closest that you'd be able to get is to donate your body to a body farm, which is, yes, a topic for an entirely other episode. Body farms have been on our mind for a long time. Oh, Yeah. And I know like Kelly, our editor, has been like, when are you going to do body farms? <laughs> yeah, come on now. <laughs> Everybody's like, body farms, body farms. Yeah, we get it. And Let's... body farms are something that like, yeah, we have in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. I went to Texas State University and there's a body farm right down the road. We're just, you know, it's all around us. Um, Is there really? Oh, yeah, for sure. I will. I'll send you all the deets about it. But yeah, that was something I remember going through um, just, you know, your typical college days where they'd be like, let's go to the body farm. I mean, you can't go. It's like blocked off and everything, but people always made threats like, we're going to go to the body farm tonight. I'm like, you can't get on that area. It's closed off. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, (laughs) it's not, it's not a place you can go to. Yeah. It's like, you're not going to sneak in and tip a cow at the body farm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, I think it's just the fact that it was right down the road from our college, but yeah. Yeah. We'll gotcha. cover it. So like could medical students or anything, would they would they ever be like, oh, we're doing a field trip to the body farm? Um, Elise, I was in the theater film department. I was never talking to medical oh. students. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I never, we never really crossed paths. I was in the, that's like the yeah. smart area of campus. I was in the. <laughs> it's 
So you weren't the one actor hanging out with that group no. of aspiring medical students. No, this, you, you know. didn't. You didn't have to study them for a role where you played a doctor on TV, Jess. I, you know, I never have played a doctor. Well, no, that's not true. There was one time I did, but no, yeah, didn't <laughs> didn't hang out with those kids back in college. So yeah, but Elise, we are back for our fourth season. Ooh, we are. So exciting. And yeah, thanks you so much to everybody that's continued with us on this morbid journey. Mostly you, Jess, because. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're in this together, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Till death or cancellation do we part. Exactly. Exactly. What topics are we going to be covering in this next season? I think we're we're actually still figuring that out a little bit. One, though, that I have started looking into that I really want to do is uh the causes of death in London in 1632. I don't know if you've seen this graphic going around, Jess. I love this t- time period. So um, no, go with the graphic, go for it. Yeah, it's just just this graphic that it's taken from a medical chronicle. And it's like, here are uh, our breakdown of how people died uh, this year. Love and, it. And uh, there's some really interesting, I mean, you know, it's obviously like pre-modern medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it'd be really fascinating for us to go through it and say like, well, this is what they thought the cause of death was and, or just, just the terminology that they use for some of the deaths or what it's very, very interesting. Yeah, it is. It's fascinating. And when you think about it, like in the big scheme of things, like it really wasn't that, I mean, it was a long time ago, but it also like, wasn't that long ago in the way of like, we've come a long way when it comes to like our medical journey and whatnot, but boy, this is a messed up time back then on like what you thought people died from the whole like, yeah, not washing your hands before digging in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. just like lots of different things. Yeah. We actually we put a call out on our Twitter account at 30 Morbid Minutes to to ask you, our listeners, like what you would want to hear about yep. in this season. Um, And like these are some of the answers that we pulled and maybe we'll pull from some of them when we decide what we're fully doing. But like, you know, and an ep- James Bush wants an episode entirely on mummies in ancient Egypt. Yeah, of course. Which uh, we've dabbled in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeremy Poulet, um, Ancient Giants. Yes. Which I don't even know what that reference is, but okay. <laughs> no, I mean, I think back in the, you know, they found giant bones and whatnot. Like just from back in the early, early days. Not the Neanderthals, but like. Oh. Yeah. Well, they were, that's, I think that's what we need to figure out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Is that like, were there giants? Why did we find these bones? Yeah, it's weird. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm seeing a couple requests, including from Mariana C. for the weird dancing plague in Europe. Uh, I've definitely read about that. Okay. Sam Cohen, the inevitable heat death of the universe. We've talked about that, Jess. I, I feel love like. it. I love it. Yes. I love any anything on the universe. Yeah. Space. Uh, crazy shit. Absolutely. Um, Scoob82, the radium girls. Ooh. It's very interesting. Okay. Uh, and- absolve surprise you haven't done anything on ufos yet well that's yeah that's the big one jess if you it is no it is we have talked about this probably since the beginning of 30 morbid minutes talking about aliens and ufos and it's so interesting because as more info comes out which all of a sudden i feel like now more than ever info is coming out about this kind of stuff it's just like there's so much ground to cover And I think it's more just like, okay, what are we going to tackle first? 
And there's so much information now. So yeah, we really need to kind of dig in onto how we want, what angle we want to kind of yeah. go about there's that. Too and, much. And probably, it, there's too much and probably multiple episodes. So we, we got to dig into that a little bit more. Yeah. We got to find like those, those specific alien focuses and figure mm-hmm. it out. Um, break, but, break off a little chunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but if, if you guys are new to the show, we have some bangers um, and they're mm-hmm. bangers in our, in our archives, which are, are, pretty evergreen. They definitely don't feel dated in any way. Um, some of our f- favorites and greatest hits are Death uh, Inside Disney Parks, Death on Cruise Ships, Death, 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 um, <laughs> and The Life uh, and Violent Times of History's Real Life Dracula, Vlad the Impaler. Yeah, we've also covered cloning, sleep paralysis. People love that sleep paralysis episode because Jess, gets, Jess uh, brought her her <laughs> personal life to work that day. <laughs> really did, y'all. Yeah. That's just... just <laughs> Really put that on display. So, uh, and we've also covered cursed objects and artifacts. Mm-hmm. That was a fun one, and so much more. And like I said, yeah, we thank you to everybody that gave us some suggestions for the next season on Twitter. You yep. can keep telling us what you want to hear about. Go to our Twitter account at Thirty Morbid Minutes and find us by the same handle on Instagram and TikTok. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know about you, but we're, we might be talking about Twitter a little bit more and like where we might want to put our focuses, maybe more towards TikTok or IG. I'm not sure mm-hmm. yet. We're figuring it out. But yep. for now, find us there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For this fleeting ephemeral moment that is a representation of life. Yep. <laughs> find us yep. on Twitter. I know. Um, yeah. Who cool. boy. Well, uh, I better go start stretching because if this spine is going to break easy, I got to loosen it up for you, Jess. <laughs> I can't wait to play with my little personal Gumby. (laughs) (laughs) You're a sicko. No wonder you attract all these sickos listening to your podcast. Oh, my God. It's good to be back and to see all of you sickos out in full force. Well, uh, talk to you next week. Bad bye. Bad bye. You know what? Let's change the music for the show, and it's just me. It's <laughs> just you scatting. <laughs> and like, but you'll do all the ad reads and behind, and and I'll just be like, yeah, and I'll do them real. I'll do them real solemnly. This episode is brought to you by cheese, real American cheese. <laughs> yeah yeah kelly's no. got it yeah let's do it oh god that'd be so much fun oh